InfoTrack, the weekly show with information you should know. Here's your host, Chris Whitting. Research suggests that artificial intelligence, or AI, elevates the skills of the low performers in various fields to average or above average performance. Joining us to talk about this is Edward McFowlin III, Assistant Professor in the Technology and Operations Management Unit at Harvard Business School. Professor, what are the challenges posed by the fact that modern professional work consists of a broad range of activities rather than one specialization in terms of using artificial intelligence? A lot of what artificial intelligence was originally built for was specific tasks. So if you think about the original models that organizations were using and deploying both for customers and for their internal usage for employees, they were trained to predict a particular thing or classify a particular item, predict, you know, who will click on something, what product someone wants. And now the sort of tipping point we're at is we have these models that are more general in their knowledge so that they are trying to learn a whole host of different skills. And we see that with things like these large language models, which can do a whole number of things. They can answer questions, they can give you insights, you can talk back to it. And so what that means, instead of being optimized and then deployed for a specific use case, now we have algorithms that are massive that are trained just on consuming information and then are deployed, generally speaking, across a whole set of use cases. And what that means, I think, is that like with humans, there's a set of things any given model is is good at and a set of things that it's not good at. We kind of talk about this as terms of the sort of AI frontier. And when you deploy it and people use it for tasks in the frontier, that seems to help people a lot with the tasks they're trying to solve. But when it's outside the frontier, that seems to create challenges for them to solve those problems. And we don't a priori know, and sometimes even ex post, we can't really know what kind of task is in the frontier and outside the frontier. So we're kind of uncertain about how useful it will be at any given task because we don't know how good the AI is at it. A CEO predicted there would be a significant reduction in the need for engineers due to AI. Why or why not would you agree with that? I think that AI's ability to, let's say, again, write software or to build, so think about software engineers specifically, or any kind of other sort of design tasks like that, it can do it very quickly. So I could assume that if your business proposition that the developers are seeking to solve is to generate lots and lots and lots of code very quickly, I can see AI being much better at that. But I think there is a side to that, which is, again, like we said in terms of the AI general knowledge, is just because a tool has been built on, let's say, all of the code written, it is trying to fit to the average answer. So if I ask it to write a code for a certain challenge, try to figure out what is the best guess at what I could be asking for. But you can imagine that a human in that same setting would understand a lot more context and write superior code for that specific problem. It's almost like, can I write a pretty good answer to any question or to solve any problem? Or can I give you the best answer for the precise problem you're after? And so I think there's still going to be this marrying of engineers with these tools to scale them up potentially, maybe making the first pass a little bit easier or writing the code much more quickly. 
But I don't think that this idea of extensive reductions may take place because we're still going to rely on, I think, at least in the, in the current iteration, humans to really sort of fine tune the results we get, even if they're coming from AI. We're talking with Edward McFarlane III, Assistant Professor in the Technology and Operations Management Unit at Harvard Business School, talking about artificial intelligence. Professor, if some individuals got really good at working with AI, how could this maybe shift the dynamics of the job market and the recruitment of top talent? Oh, I think it'd have a massive impact and shift on it. I think it's very possible that if workers who get very competent at using the tool in the right way, because again, as I mentioned before, if we're using it in some of the, I'll say, quote unquote, wrong ways, it could actually create problems for performance. But I think what's very clear from all the research that has been done, including research that myself and my team did, it creates a lot of productivity benefits. So that means that people are able to solve problems much more quickly that I think it can make people far more productive and therefore more attractive in terms of recruitment. Those most successful ability to be recruited are going to be those who are able to use these tools the most effectively. What we've seen is that a lot of folks, even those, relatively speaking, who are less skilled, if they can use these tools, they can increase their productivity, increase their performance significantly more than even those that may be the higher end potentially. So I think those who have these tools and are using it will be the prominent workers who companies are out and attracted to. Will the benefits of AI also extend to professions like customer service? And if so, how would that work? I believe it can. I believe folks are even trying to do that even as we speak. There's a tension here, right? Customer service is very costly. A customer calls in with a complaint and a problem. And the goal of the customer service agent is to try to help resolve that problem. And a lot of times the questions people call in with, we think our questions are unique or require human responses. They don't really always. Organizations know this, which is why they try to have automated services for that. But there's lots of tensions around that. And so speaking to a machine that can't adapt as well to me could be problematic. And so I might perceive not getting my question answered effectively, or I just may have an aversion to talking to an algorithm or a machine versus a human. And so with these new tools for AI, they can appear to be more human-like, maybe to the point of person not knowing, which could certainly create value and scale for organizations trying to answer simple questions for people calling to these call centers. You can imagine also, if you're calling in or interacting with someone who's trying to service me, let's say online or on Twitter, again, not being able to distinguish between if I'm talking to a human or not can be clear. I would say the other thing, though, is that if I have a human who is given such a tool that is well adapted to the problem, you can imagine me being able to answer far more questions, far more holistically and far more quickly than I could before. Because even when a question does require human intervention, it may require a customer service rep knowing a minute detail about a policy. I may need to sort of cross-reference purchases and customer information. And all that could happen somewhat automatically or at least much more smoothly with a system like an AI system that's enabling that. And so a customer service rep could end up being far more effective in answering far more questions and, and pleasing customers far more with a tool like this. So I think that is a way in which many ways it could 
And I think that's often what you see people trying to do today with these kinds of systems is how they can actually create better customer service, maybe with the same resources they currently have or even less resources. We've been talking about business and the job market in that area as far as artificial intelligence. How about educational institutions? How would they need to adapt to this evolving landscape? There's a couple of pieces here. I think the primary one is how do we educate the students from primary, middle school, high school, college, graduate school, professional schools. How do we educate our students to be not only aware of, but effectively using these tools? Because I think it can very much help them solve the problems they're after, get the skills they need, and also sort of move into the marketplace and be highly sought after in terms of recruitment. So I think that's one thing is we have to be aware of it so we can best prepare our students to do so. I think another question is how do we train them to use it appropriately? Because again, a lot of what we see is even if you use it, how do we train them to be thoughtful about questioning it, pushing back on it, not becoming simply sort of adopters that fall asleep at the wheel and just sort of use whatever it tells them, but actually to use it to enhance their existing knowledge because these tools do hallucinate. They do sometimes say things are factually incorrect. And what you don't want are folks who have gotten accustomed to using these tools, but are not equally accustomed to being able to interact with them in a way that deciphers what is fact and not, and what can be taken out of what's being said and applied to the questions and problems they're trying to solve. So I think there's a huge burden on educational institutions to essentially educate students, not only on the main questions, but on how these tools can be appropriately used to solve sort of the main questions that these institutions are training uh, students to do. As we wrap this up, uh, I'm just curious uh, as your thoughts uh, as far as when, you know, what's the time horizon for all of these changes to happen? Do you see this happening soon, you know, within the next few years, or are we looking decades down the road? All of the above. I think there are some challenges that are going to require time. I think there are some challenges and some use cases that we see being applied now. So these tools will continue to evolve. People will continue to try to find the killer use case and context. I think about many of the other technologies that we observed and what the progression of them from the internet being created to browsers and what they did and what they created, which you know is a straight line toward things like Amazon and Meta and Google and and what have you, right? My sense is that there will be some use cases of these tools that, in fact, will be very obvious, very wide adopted and happen in the next few years. And there will be some that we can't maybe even conceptualize of now, new organizations that come up, new use cases that really kind of change in a fundamental way how we interact, how business is done, how people learn, grow, compete, all these things. And I think we just can't conceptualize some of them yet because we haven't seen them yet. So I think all of the above. A little bit now, and I think we'll see things happening over time. Edward McFallon III, Assistant Professor in the Technology and Operations Management Unit at Harvard Business School. Professor, thank you so much for joining us today. It was my pleasure. Thank you for having me. Next, green energy impacting fossil fuel workers. That story, coming up. Stick around, there's more InfoTrack straight ahead. 